0: You guys are going to have to settle down now. <laughs> I love you, church. Hey, um, just I, I know that sometimes some of you aren't listening to me, but at this moment, I need all of you to listen to me. Uh, and I know I say all the time, take out your phones, uh, do whatever, post. Um, but at this moment, I need everybody to put their phones away. need to make sure that no one is um, Facebook-living, uh, we need to, for a few minutes here, make sure that no one's taking pictures. Um, so, over the last few weeks, we've been introducing you to some of our ministry partners around the world. I've been talking to you about this all pros uh, lineup that we have of ministry partners. Um, and it's been amazing uh, just to be able to introduce you to some of these people that are changing the face of missions. And we have a couple that's coming up in just a moment. Um, and where they serve, um, their face being out on the media could get them in a lot of trouble. Uh, they serve in a country where it's illegal for them to be there, and uh, they just need that security. So that's why we're asking you to put your phones away. If you're watching on the internet right now, it's going to go to black, and, uh, but you'll still be able to hear us throughout the interview. Uh, but that's just for their protection. So um, pretty serious, pretty important. We wouldn't want to be responsible for uh, causing them any problems. But would you please welcome Maher and Sue here to the stage. Yeah. It's like I have Jason Bourne coming up here or something. (laughs) So uh, we've been uh, friends for a long time, and um, I've had a chance to travel uh, in country with them. It's pretty amazing what God has entrusted to them. Um, But Suhair, I'd like to start with you, and I'd love for you to kind of give us a bit of the history. Uh, Suhair came here for the first time In the 80s, uh, she was in a bassinet at the time. We just want to, anyway. um, But uh, just how did that all happen? What's the the connection? And part of the reason why I want to tell that is I just want you to realize uh, this is something God has entrusted to us over decades. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing.
1: I came to your church in the late 80s. uh, And it was through the Plastos. Maybe you guys know Fred and Dolores Blasto. Uh, you send them out to the mission field in Morocco, and they served there. And we and sent I w- them
0: in the 60s. In the
1: 60s. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't there. So um, <laughs> Dude,
0: just to make that clear, I wasn't there.
1: <laughs> but I worked with them and then I worked with uh, um, Ruth and Boaz also at the MMC in, in Spain, reaching North Africa for Christ. And you have been always involved and always committed to send out missionaries and we're the third generation that you guys have supported and sent out. And I'm sure that you will get to meet people in heaven because of your commitment, your prayers, and your support. Oh, that's sweet. Thank
0: you, uh, Maher. Uh, let's just assume that we don't know anything uh, because we probably don't. Um, tell us about Morocco. Tell us about the country of Morocco. Where you serve? What What's the country like? Where is it?
2: Okay, uh, Morocco is in North Africa. It's about only about eight miles away from Southern Spain. We live in in Malaga, Spain, Southern Spain, and we take the ferry across the Mediterranean to Morocco. It's only about half an hour. So Morocco is. Uh, uh, 35 million uh, people live in Morocco, and 99.9% of, of them are Muslims. The church in Morocco is very small, about 5,000 people. Uh, uh, as best we can count, as best as we can count, we maybe less, maybe more. We 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 don't know. They don't have the freedom to, to publicly say that they are Christians. They meet uh, in home churches uh, underground. They're not allowed to to meet in public. So the work in Morocco is all done in secret. That's why we have to be very careful. And uh, one thing interesting about Morocco is uh, 40% of the population are illiterate. That's why uh, part of the work we do is very important, because uh, we, we reach to them through media, through radio and TV and uh, the internet. But also we're doing uh, other things to reach the uh, illiterate people. Uh, I will talk about that more.
0: Yeah, so one of the stories you shared in your recent newsletter was uh, of a young man, you called him Daoud? Daoud. Very good. <laughs> That's, I'm getting good at my my multilingual thing here. I can say one name. Anyway, uh, Daoud is uh, David in English, but um, you tell that story. And I think if you just kind of reiterate that story, it'll help us to get a sense of the ministry that God has called you to and, and what God is doing.
2: Yeah, uh, this uh, guy, Daoud, we... I reconnected with him a couple of months ago when we had a team from Grace come to to visit us and we took them to Morocco. I met him the first time 20 years ago and he was uh, in his early 20s and uh, he told me his uh, testimony. Uh, About 22 years ago he was uh, in uh, northern Morocco in one of the border cities uh, and uh, every summer in, uh, in Spain, we do Bible distribution uh, for the people who are crossing uh, from Spain to go back to Morocco for the summer. And we give them uh, packets with the Bible and with uh, the Jesus film and different material. And uh, in the Moroccan culture, it's very impolite to refuse a gift. So many people take the packet because it's a gift, but when they get into Morocco, they throw it away. And we've many times collected uh, you know, material that was thrown, thrown away, recycled the material that we found. And uh, this guy, he was walking one, one day uh, back to where he was living. He was visiting the city and was working for the summer. But he was walking home and he found a book thrown under a truck. And he picked it up and it happened to be a New Testament in Arabic. And it uh, was all torn up, but he was... And tread
0: marks on tread marks
2: on, the, on yeah. the book. He picked it up and started reading it because he was uh, interested. He was, uh, as he was walking through the city, he saw a building that, that was a church, a Spanish church that had the cross on it. And he was interested to know what the, the Christians believed. So he picked that book, found out it's a New Testament. He started reading it, even though his brother told him you shouldn't read that book because it's corrupted. But in spite of his brother, he's kept reading the book. And uh, through different circumstances, he came to know Christ. And uh, I met him 20 years ago. He, he got baptized that year. And now when I connected with him 20 years later, I found out that he's been very active. His, uh, through his uh, testimony, many people came to Christ. And now they have a home church in his uh, home. And uh, he has won too many people to Christ. And uh, he's very, very active. So, uh, yeah, isn't that cool?
0: There's two things that challenge me about that story. One is uh, just how we take the word for granted, our access to scriptures for granted. I mean, literally, I don't know how many Bibles I own. I mean, and so that is one thing, um, but also just the, um, the willingness to, to put your life on the line to do, I mean, I think we just, it's hard for us to grasp. The risk that this young man has been taking over the last couple decades to lead people to Christ, to talk to people about Jesus, to have a church in his home, I mean, he very much uh, is putting his own livelihood and safety at risk. And it just challenges me to think it's its just pretty darn easy for us to skate through, if you will, in, in all that we have and, and all that we take for granted. So um, with the illiteracy rate, with the being a closed country, you guys have kind of found like, a, if you will, three prongs, three uh, legs to to ministry. Why don't you talk a little bit about what those are? And I I know, Suther, maybe you could talk a little bit about the family ministry uh, first, and then we'll talk about the other
2: two. Uh,
1: For the last 20-some years, we've been involved in evangelism through satellite TV and social media. And so many people have come to Christ uh, in Morocco. And the church is really growing. And now we found ourselves that the church needs help with discipleship and, and training. And uh, so many young people are coming to Christ and starting their f- in, uh, family, Christian families, So, and they have no background of a, a Christian home, how to raise their kids, or a young woman, they uh, their value in Christ, they, they don't know their value in Christ because they have been, Uh, not uh, mistreated in in their homes, not valued, not loved. They're second class citizen as women in the Muslim culture. And also young men who who come into Christian marriage, they have the background of their dad maybe beating their, their mom. They don't have a good example of a godly father. So how would they start a godly family and open their home for a house church? So God has put in our heart to start this, to help the church in Morocco, to train young believers and to teach them and to disciple them how to raise uh, uh, Christian kids, how to be a godly father and a godly mother.
0: That's great. And then um, the second part of the ministry that you've been so actively involved in is the Bible translation and recording. Talk a little bit about that. Sorry. A bit about that.
2: Yes. uh... Like I said, uh, Daoud found the Bible, and uh, he, start, he found the New Testament, and he was reading it. But uh, like I said also, 40% of the people of Morocco are illiterate. Even if they are allowed to have a Bible, they cannot read it. Which they're not allowed. They're not allowed. But, not allowed. but uh, that's why uh, a few years ago, uh, in partnership with, uh, with Wycliffe and with the, Bible, with the Bible Society, we started translating the Moroccan Bible. Uh, translating the Bible into Moroccan Arabic and recording it in audio format. And a few years ago we finished the New Testament and it's now available uh, in the app store, available online for people to download it and people can uh, listen to the Bible in their own dialect, in in the Moroccan dialect. And uh, now we are working on the Old Testament uh, and uh, our goal is to have everything available online and also as an app. We also are now providing uh, for people who cannot go on the web, for people who still can't read. They have to read to surf the web. But uh, we are providing now uh, small devices, MP3 players, where they can have the Bible on it. They can listen to the Bible in their own language. And uh, for many people, 40% of 35 million people, that's the only way they can listen to the Bible. And we've heard many, many stories of people coming to Christ because they finally were able to listen to the Bible in their own language. That's great. Yeah, and then the, th- and, and for sure. and then the, the third leg of the stool, if you will,
0: is the music ministry. Uh, and I'm gonna set you up a little bit on this one, but just I'd love for you to talk a little bit about it. Um, some Sunday I'd like to do this when we get Meyer and Sue here back. Um, You told me when we were in country that you didn't feel like the church really got uh, a firm foundation until they began to write their own music and produce their own music in uh, the style, if you will, Moroccan kind of style. And the epiphany for me on that trip was uh, so often we go into uh, countries like that and we'll take an old hymn or even an old chorus that we sing and we just translate it. But uh, the music is so different. It's, it's expressed differently, that it just doesn't translate. Um, so tell a little bit about what you guys have been doing in the music ministry. And I love this. I just love, uh, you know, the, God uses music. You know God uses music? Have you guys figured that out yet? All right? And so um, what seems like a simple thing has become just
2: so integral to the church no. in Morocco. I think uh, two important pillars for any church are the Word of God and worship music. So that's, in Morocco, we've been working on these two things, uh, the Bible and the worship music. Uh, Like uh, Doug said, when missionaries went to Morocco in 1894, the first missionaries went to Morocco, they took their hymn books with them and they translated some great hymns, you know, like Amazing Grace, uh, Just As I Am, all these hymns. And many of the Moroccan, early Moroccan believers sang the hymns and but for many years they did not really feel that these songs really spoke to their heart because of the melody because of the style of music. So in, 19, in 1996 we started the ministry training uh, Moroccan uh, believers to write their own uh, music to write their own songs and we helped them to record the the, the music. We helped uh, help them produce uh, a, a song book. I can tell the difference when I go to a meeting now. you know I went to the early meetings and when i when we first got to the field. Now, when I go to a meeting and hear the people worship, you can tell that they they sing from their heart because they own it, they own it. this yeah. is this is their their music, their style of music there's so many different styles of music uh, in Morocco, but uh, when they write their own uh, music, their own style, and they sing it, it comes from their heart, so this has been really an encouraging thing to see in Morocco, how this, uh, we think maybe it might be something simple, you know, to write a song and to produce a song, but it has changed the, the face of worship in Morocco. They people are worshiping from their heart because this, thing, this is something that belongs to them. It's not something important from the West. That's great. I love that.
0: So um, let's just pray. Ramahir and here, let's remember that we have uh, some partners in some... Uh, um, pretty dangerous places doing some uh, really good work. So, Lord, thank you for uh, Myers, who thank you for uh, their partnership. Thank you for uh, the uh, just the incredible gift you've given us since the 60s to be a part of establishing a church in Morocco. Um, I just take great joy in knowing that and just uh, thank you for uh, what a privilege that is. We just pray uh, that you would just bless Myers. I pray that this would be just an incredibly fruitful year of ministry for them, that they would uh, see your hand in everything they do, that you would uh, just uh, move mountains for them so that they can uh, speak to more people about uh, just how awesome your son is. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's thank them for that. Aaron, would you bring me back, when you guys get done with that, a glass of water, please? Or, well, you could give me a bottled of water. I don't know that we've ever actually had one in a glass. <laughs> hey, um, we're in the middle of impact. Uh, this is a season where we talk about our partners, talk about all the uh, incredible things God has entrusted to us. Next week, uh, we're going to ask you to give. In the, in the past, uh, you have been incredibly gracious to give... Anywhere from 300 to 700 thousand dollars in this end of the year offering, and then we just give all that money away, which is pretty fun. Um, so that's where we are, and I kind of want to start. Thank you. Uh, by just introducing you uh, to a young man, um, his picture is going to come up on the stage. But this is Trevor, and uh, Trevor's 10 years old. He's in third grade. Uh, I would say Trevor's brilliant. Um, he's got a lot of energy. Uh, If I had to guess, I think God has given Trevor uh, some high leadership skills. He's got leadership written all over him. Um, But when Trevor shows up at Grace and shows up at Soar, uh, Trevor reads at a first grade level. Third grade, reading at a first grade level. Um, And the statistics are pretty staggering. If you get past third grade and you can't read, the chances of uh, catching up are pretty slim. Uh, so kids are taught to read up until third grade, and then they read to, to, to learn after that. And so if you can't read, you f- just fall further and further behind. Uh, stats are that you're gonna be seven times more likely to be on public assistance or end up in prison, five times more likely to drop out of school. Um, it's just a, it, it's, a it, it's a sad story that, that plays out in most cases when a kid can't read by third grade. Um, but Trevor, that's not Trevor's story. So Trevor shows up. Um, he gets involved in SOAR. He spends two days a week, one hour each of those days, two days a week with a dedicated mentor going through uh, this reading program, this literacy program. And in one year, Trevor goes up three grade levels. Right? So in one year, Trevor's caught up. Right? It's, It's an amazing picture of what God has entrusted to us. Right? It's just... You know, his story is repeated literally hundreds and hundreds of times of the young people that God has, has brought our way, right? So over the last 10 years, we've, we've seen over 1,000 kids. It's just, it's amazing what God has done through Storps. But, but here's the deal. Just get this. Satan wants to destroy Trevor right? He's he's, he's not thinking, well, he's just a kid. I'm not going to mess with him. No, he wants to create as much chaos in Trevor's life that he doesn't have an opportunity to succeed. He wants the same thing for you. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the enemy that we're against. And so when we talk about impact and we talk about this ministry of taking ground, we are taking the ground that was stolen from Trevor and we're giving it Back to him. That's the liberation ministry that we were talking about last week. That's the thing that God gets us to do. That's a a picture of of justice and us moving into uh, just doing and taking back the ground that's been long held by Satan. God says in the book of Isaiah, For I, the Lord, love justice. Think about that for just a minute. I, the Lord, love justice. And if God loves justice, then wouldn't we be wise as God's people to give it to him? Right? If somebody loves something, if somebody truly loves something, and and you have an opportunity to bring that to him and give that to him, we're in the gift giving season, right? Isn't that an incredibly good gift that we could give God the gift of justice? Right? I, the Lord, love justice, it's a great gift. Now when it comes to gift giving, I just want to kind of share with you that um, I don't think I'm a very good gift giver. Over the years, I've gotten better. But one of the things I've learned uh, is that Meg loves the west side of Michigan. She loves being anywhere near Lake Michigan. She loves it when it's rough. She loves it when it's calm. She, that's her... Thin space, we call it. That's where she meets God, and she just she loves being there. So I've learned, after all these years of being married, that if I really want to bless Meg, and I know she loves the West Side, the best thing I can do is buy a, a, an overnight over there, and we get over there, and she comes alive. She's a different person, right? I know what she loves, so I give her what she loves, and then good things happen for me. Because it's, it's all about me. Yeah. So um, just to be fair... I want to share the other side of this coin. Um, I'm not, I've always been a good gift giver, and I'm telling you this story because I think there's probably some young man who's recently married who needs to hear this story, but one year for Christmas, I bought mega a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, and I don't know why the women always are like, oh, oh, but I think I was set up Because here's the way this went. I was in the living room, and Meg was in the kitchen dining area with her friend Michelle. And Meg said, I need a new vacuum cleaner. It's almost Christmas, and I'm paying attention to what my wife needs. And Michelle said, I love my vacuum cleaner. So I think I was tricked in this one, right? Because right, if you give somebody what they love, and she loves their vacuum cleaner. So I literally, I called Michelle later and said, hey, what kind of vacuum cleaner do you have? Because I want to give her a good vacuum cleaner, not just any vacuum cleaner. I bought the same kind of vacuum cleaner. It didn't go over well. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, the, the rest is history. Um, so guys, uh, think twice before buying cleaning supplies for your wife. If you're going to buy a vacuum cleaner, buy it for yourself. That will be the gift that she probably really wants, right? Right? So I'm just saying all this to say that, that if we if we know what someone loves, if we really want to bless someone, then give them what they love, right? God says, I the Lord love justice. So we're going to look at a passage. Um, it comes out of one of the minor prophets in Micah. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Micah, that's way back in the, uh, or the very end of the Old Testament. And so you have the, the minor prophets. Now, they're not minor because they didn't contribute much. They're minor because their books are smaller. Um, so it's important that we know that they're not lesser prophets or less important prophets. But you got Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, name ofbecca So that's kind of where we are. I think it's on page 779 in the Bibles under your seats. So let me give you a little bit of context because we talk about context matters whenever we're reading the scriptures. But uh, uh, Micah is a uh, peer, if you will, of Isaiah. So this is all taking place about 750 years before uh, Jesus' birth. As a matter of fact, if you want to go home today or in the next couple of days and just read the whole book of Micah, you can read it in about 15, 20 minutes, depending on how fast you read. It doesn't take very long. It's pretty short. Uh, but you'll notice that it's Micah who actually predicts or prophesies that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem, 750 years or so before it actually happens, which for me is just Adds to my understanding that what we uh, believe is true. So here you have this prophecy of, of Bethlehem. It's a pretty cool thing. The other thing that we find in Micah is he is the first of the prophets to predict or to prophesy that um, Jerusalem is going to fall to Babylon. So what he's basically saying, his message in the book is, hey, if you don't change, destruction is coming. So if you don't stop lying, if you don't stop cheating, if you don't stop any, you know, a lot of those sins of the people come out in the book. There's not one other tidbit before I read it that I just, this is probably what captured me the most in my sermon preparation is, if you read the book of, of Micah, most of the time Micah is talking in second person plural. So you know what that means? I had to look it up. I can't really remember what it means because English wasn't good for me. Second person plural is when we use the word you to refer to a group of people. So if I were to say, you all need to... Come to the Liz Weiss concert, and I'm using second person plural, right? If I, if I use you talking about this group of people, that's second person plural. And that's how most of the book is written because he's talking to the people of Israel and he's saying, if you don't change your way, if you don't stop lying, if you don't stop cheating, it's second person plural. But then something happens when we get to the passage that we're going to look at, uh, which is in chapter six, he all of a sudden moves to the first person singular. And he says, I. And it just, just kind of hit me. Uh, so hard that, that all of a sudden he goes from talking corporately, he goes from talking about, and we do this all the time. We can talk about theology all the time. We can talk about what God wants to do with his people. We can talk about what God wants to do with those people. We can, but there's something that happens when we stop and we make it personal. And so what I want you to see as we read this passage is that Micah has moved from talking about the them and all of you people, which he's a part of those people, to himself. He is asking an internal question. There's a guy who's written a ton, a Jewish man by the name of Abraham Heschel, and he says of Micah that he poses the most urgent question of religious existence. That's a pretty... Loaded language there, right? The most urgent question of religious existence. What is the way of true worship? So that's what we're going to unpack. We're going to unpack this passage in Micah, and what we're looking at is Micah's journey in understanding what is the true way to worship. All right, so we're in Micah chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 8. So this is, With what shall I come before the Lord? See the eye there? With what shall I? What should I come before the Lord with? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Verse seven, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000s of rivers of oils? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Verse 8 He has told you, O man, some of your translations probably say, O human, and I love that. He has told you, O human, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes, uh, as I try to condense a sermon that's probably 35 minutes to 10 minutes, that you would just give me wisdom on how to do that. Uh, Just help me to uh, communicate what you want us to hear today. And Lord, we pray every Sunday that we would leave different than we came because we've interacted with the living God. Would you speak to us as you probably already have through Liz, through... Ma hair and Su through rock, would you just continue to uh, you, through your spirit speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen? So Micah starts this musing on worship by talking about some pretty common and or regular things, right? He says, should I bow before the Lord? Should I bring a burnt offering? These aren't even, not just common, they were commanded things that he was supposed to do, right? So uh, I thought to myself, well, what would the modern day vernacular be of that? And it would be, should I come before the Lord? Should I show up at church every Sunday, right? Should I raise my hands during worship? Right, if you were writing this, should I give my ten percent every Sunday so that you would be pleased? Whatever it is that becomes your religious practices, those could all be put into there. And then the thing that's fascinating is those aren't bad things; those are commanded things; those are good things—to bow before the Lord, to do the the burnt offering. Those were the things He was supposed to do. But something's missing in that, and I think Micah knows it, and so he's asking a question. But then he slips into this, this uh exaggeration, hyperbole, I guess you could say. And he said, well, would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, right? Or, or would the Lord be pleased with, with thousands of rivers of oil? And he's actually using a multiplication problem there. It's not, this is an addition. He's saying thousands of rivers, right? Should I give my firstborn for all of my transgressions? Is that what worship really looks like? Is that really what God wants from me? is that I would just bring all of those things to him. He's asking himself, what would really please you, God? What is it that you really want? Isn't that the million-dollar question? Don't you find yourself asking that? Like, God, what is it that I can do? What is it that you ask of me? What is it that would bless you? I think it's fascinating that uh, This is the passage that the Lord led me to, is we're in the middle of impact, because I'm asking you to go home and pray about how much money to give, and now I'm talking about like, that's not really what God wants, so if you stay with me long enough, maybe that'll all make sense by the end, but it's just funny, God has a sense of humor. He always makes me preach things that I'm like, what, really, that? Anyway, so we're in a season of asking you to give, but I think the, the, the one thing I want you to hear is impact is a season of worship. It's not a season of just giving. Do you get that? It's a season of worship. If we understand the rest of this passage, if we apply the rest of this passage, what God is asking us to do is to party, right? He's asking us to give back for a particular reason because God has done something for us. He desires more than just the stuff, right? He doesn't desire us to give him things just for the sake of giving him things. It's all about worship, it's a response to God and, and what God does, has done in our lives. It's about our hearts. Because a gift given with the right heart makes all the difference. Even a bad gift given with the right heart is a good gift. And actually, a good gift given with a bad heart is no gift at all. Right? If somebody gives you something with the intent of manipulating you or controlling you or causing you to do something, it's not a gift, it's a bribe. Right? Or it's, a, or it's manipulation. Right? So a gift given, even a bad gift with a good heart is still a gift. So when I was really young, I'm just going to confess all of my bad gift giving in one sermon. <laughs> you guys are all going to start praying that I never draw your name in the Christmas party. Uh, so I was really little, um, and I got it in my mind that my mom would really love a peace pipe, an authentic Indian peace pipe for Christmas, <laughs> Um, my mom doesn't smoke a pipe, so I'm not sure where I got the idea. Uh, I still don't know where I got the idea all these years later. But uh, so I, my dad was a, had a wood shop, so I spent literally a couple weeks in his wood shop. He helped me a little, um, probably not enough. Um, but I built this uh, hideous-looking peace pipe. Um, I carved, I whittled, I glued... Uh, painted it red. I found some old bird feathers <laughs> and I hung them on it because that was what an Indian peace pipe would have, in my mind anyway. Um, and here's the deal. My mom was an antique dealer. Her her house was actually in Country Living magazine. So that gives you an idea of how important her house was to her. It was, it was like living in a museum. Um, and it was always clean, which was really annoying for a kid. But that's another story for another sermon. Uh, <laughs> but that hideous-looking peace pipe hung in our house for probably 10 years, right? I'm fairly confident she didn't like it. <laughs> but she liked the heart behind it, right? That I would work and I would, and any, every mom in the place knows exactly what I'm talking about. But it was, a, it was a bad gift given with a good heart. That's really all God's after. Do you get that? That's what God's after. He's after our, our hearts. He's not after our thousands of rams and 10,000s of oils. He's, he's after our heart. So we're into this passage of Micah. I'm starting in verse eight. God actually answers the question. This is what I want. And this is what I want to unpack with you. So verse eight, he says, he, that's God, he's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? That you do justice, that you love kindness, and that you walk humbly with your God. I'm going to unpack all three of these, but um, because I think it makes more sense, I'm going to start at the bottom. Walk humbly with God, and really to walk humbly with God is really just this idea that you know who you are and you know who God is. It's an accurate understanding of who you are and who God is, right? So, so sometimes we hear the word humility, and we think it's this picture of of uh, being insecure or. or passive or or something like that. But but someone can be incredibly talented. So I think we saw a picture of walking humbly with God with Liz Weiss. God has given her an amazing voice, but she knows this is a gift from God. And when we know it's a gift from God, then the next thing we're going to say is, well, God, you gave me the gift. How do you want me to use it for your kingdom? So whatever God has given you to walk humbly with God is to say, this is a gift from God. I didn't earn it. I didn't find it. I didn't make it my own thing. It's something that God has given to me. Okay, God, now that you've given me that, what does it look like for me to give that back to you? Sometimes I think we get into this weird thinking when we don't understand humility and we think it's this picture of like being a doormat and it has nothing to do with that. It's just an accurate understanding of who you are and the fact that everything good that you have is a gift from the Lord. I know I say this all the time, but we need to understand all that we have in God because that becomes what motivates us. That becomes the very fuel that allows us to move towards other people. Let me say it more poignantly. If you are aware of the grace and the forgiveness that you have received in your life, the more aware you are of all that God has given you, all the grace, all the forgiveness, the more grace and forgiveness you are going to extend to other people. The more aware you are of your own depravity and how much God has moved towards you, then the more you're going to overlook other people's problems and you're going to move towards them. You see, it's this accurate picture of who you are and who God is. This is what it means to walk humbly. And when you walk humbly with God and you know who you are, it is going to motivate you to love kindness. Many of your translations say, show uh, Show mercy. Uh, the Hebrew word there is actually Hased, and, and the Hebrew word means a promised loyalty. It's a covenant loyalty. So what I want you to, to, to get in this one is it's not just about kindness, but it's kindness when the person you're being kind to doesn't necessarily earn the kindness or deserve the kindness. You get this? This is how God moved towards us, because the scriptures tell us that while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God... God moved towards us and sent his son for us, right? We didn't deserve, again, we didn't do anything to earn what we have. It's all a gift, right? And the more we understand that, the more we're gonna move towards it. But this is a picture of loving people, even when they don't act the way we think they should. Even if their lifestyle doesn't line up with our lifestyle. What does it look like for us to love kindness, to move towards them? Do you get what I'm saying? So, so here's what I want you to hear. Just go back to what we're talking about. This is true worship. Look, we sang, that's worship. Don't, don't miss it. But, but worship is so much more than that. When we love kindness, when we move towards people who are different than us or don't live a lifestyle that we live, when we actually exude kindness towards people, It's worship. Right? It's a beautiful expression of worship. And the last one of the three says that we would do justice. Actually, we're commanded to do justice. But what does that mean? And here's the deal. I think doing justice is not nearly as complicated as we make it. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. It will cost you something. But it's not that hard to figure out what justice is. What does it mean to, to do justice? And, and simply put, anytime you see something that's not fair, anytime you see something that is cruel or oppressive, and you have the opportunity to step into that chaos, like with Trevor, that there's chaos there. There's something that's not fair. Trevor deserves the same education that every other kid, whether he lives in Detroit or lives in the suburbs. This isn't to say anything's wrong with the education in the suburbs. It's just that Trevor deserves... There's an unfairness there. So, anytime you can step into unfairness and bridge the gap, you are doing justice, right? So when we partner with Courage Homes, we've talked about them, they're partners in India and they are rescuing these girls, 12, 13 year old out of trafficking and they're giving them a safe place to live and they're helping to reestablish them just as, as healthy people and giving them this family environment and, and, and giving them Christ and discipling them and then giving them even a, a careers that they can do. That's justice, right? That's stepping into the gap where Satan is trying to kill, steal and destroy and, and taking back the ground and giving somebody an opportunity to move forward anytime you see people who are marginalized or discriminated and you have any kind of positional power or or any kind of influence that you can step into that discrimination or you can step into that oppression then you are doing justice impact 2018 is a justice campaign the cool thing is we can all do justice So we have uh, our our elementary kids. So from kindergarten up to uh, uh, fifth grade, I think it might actually only be through the third grade. But they were all given these little rice banks, um, and they were sent home. So for a couple months, they were to put all their change in the rice banks. And our kids uh, here at Grace brought back all their little rice banks, and we raised enough money just with the kids to serve 1,900 meals to the to the hungry. Isn't that cool? That's doing justice, get it? I mean, it's, it's not complicated, but it took some sacrifice on the part of the kids to give up some of their change, to bring it in. 1,900 meals, the high school and junior high kids didn't wanna be outdone, so they're doing this thing, which I've never heard of, which I think is really cool. Uh, they're doing penny wars, uh, and the way it works is every, every team, and I think it's probably just done by gender and grade. so seventh grade girls, eighth grade girls, seventh grade boys, eighth, and they're all competing with one another, but for every penny you put in the jar, you get a point, but for every silver that somebody puts in your jar, you get negative points. So if you put in 25 pennies, but somebody walks by and puts a quarter in your jar, you're at zero, right? So you're actually not only trying to get points, but you're trying to take points away. But they've already raised hundreds of dollars for this church in Belize because they got this competition. Look, that's justice, right? They've went to Belize as a short-term mission trip. They love the church. Now they're raising money to help this fairly unequipped church that needs some resources to be equipped. That's doing justice, right? It's not that complicated, but it's going to cost us something. Isn't that cool? We should clap for the high schoolers too. I I don't want them to feel left out. So, what am I trying to say to you? God desires our hearts. God desires to move our hearts towards kindness and justice. He wants to change who we are, so we're, we're moved in that way. Several years ago, when I just sold um, the business, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, and uh, I had an invitation to go to, to Pittsburgh, And uh, I didn't know what that invitation even was all about. But I sat under the teaching of a pastor in a church there. And um, it was one of those messages where you just knew this was for me. God brought me to Pittsburgh to hear this message. Uh, And the pastor preached on Amos 5.24. And Amos 5.24 is, but let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. And what God was asking me is, I've blessed you with some stuff. What are you going to do with it? Right? I, I've given you some stuff, and, and in my pride, I would think, well, I earned all that. God, I, I'm the one that worked hard, right? I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one. i say, no, I, I've given you some stuff. What are you gonna do with it? Right? Are you willing to take the things that I've given you and give them back to me as a picture of worship? Right? And I just wanna be honest with you. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot in this sermon, I don't know if I've ever moved towards God with any purity at all. I think I always want something from God. I think my praise is because I want to feel better. I think my giving is because I know it's obedient and I know why I want God to bless me. Look, I, I get it, man. We get, we get this all convoluted and all I'm asking you to do is just ask the question. My God, what is pure worship? What does it look like for me to come to you and to give to you because you're God, not because I want you to do something for me? Right, so that message just became a, a catalyst. It became the catalyst for all of what we do with Eagle Sports and sore tutoring was, I gotta give back, I gotta do something. I gotta step into the injustice that exists in our city between black and white. And if God would use me, I want to do it. But it kind of became sort of catalyst for what I want for our church too. I want our church to be a place where justice rolls like a river, like a never-failing stream. I want people to look at us and see us moving towards people. I told you in... um, the beginning that Isaiah and, I'm gonna skip all the way to the bottom for those in the back doing slides. Isaiah and Micah are um, peers, right? And so they're talking to the same group of people. They're prophesying towards the same group of people. A lot of similarities actually between Isaiah and Micah, except for Isaiah was a little more long-winded. Um, that was a joke. Um, there's a lot more in Isaiah. Uh, but Isaiah gets to this point where the people are actually asking, God, why haven't you shown up? We fast and we pray, but you don't show up, right? What do they say? And say, we worship you, or at least we think we're worshiping you. We fast. It's just a form of worship. It's a form of, of setting aside time. We, we pray to you, but you don't show up. What's the deal? And Isaiah writes these words, and I just want you to hear it. This is Isaiah 58, 6 through 8. It says, is not this the fast that I've chose for you? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him, do you see what this is a picture of? It's a picture of justice, right? It's a picture of God's given you this, yet you don't leverage it for the kingdom and you wonder why God doesn't show up. Look at Verse 8. It says, in then, when you do those things, that's the then, when you, when you do them, then your light's going to shine forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You want to know how people are going to see Christ in us is by loving kindness and doing justice by walking humbly with the Lord. So we're going to... Send you out today and ask you to prayerfully consider giving, and I don't know what God's going to ask you to give. Mike asked the question: Is would would a thousand rams please you? And the answer is maybe. If God's given you a thousand rams to leverage for the kingdom of God, then give a thousand rams. I don't know. Maybe it's ten dollars. Maybe it's ten thousand dollars. The question is, God, what? Can we give? What have you given us to leverage for the kingdom of God? What would please you? We talk all the time that really the heart of discipleship is to hear and obey. I am confident that if you will ask the Lord, that he will tell you. And we will have more than we need to bless our partners. Lord, I just pray that you would help the truth of this passage, this picture of true worship, of being moved by all you've given to us to want to give back, not just to you, but to people as an expression of worship. Help us to be a people who worship outside of these walls, who our lives are marked by kindness and justice and humility. Help us to be the church you've called us to be, to move more and more into this incredible gift you've given us as the mosaic, striving to live like Jesus, even when we <laughs> don't know how. Give us an accurate picture of ourselves and give us a better picture of you. Lord, thanks for, uh, again, for just the great weekend that we've had with Liz. I just pray that you would just pour out your grace and your favor in her ministry. Would you just anoint this new album to go out, reach the people that are far from you? Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to remind you, we have an incredibly gifted prayer team that will be down here. If you are feeling any sense of anxiety going into the holiday season, just know that that's pretty normal, but we would love to meet you down here and we would love to pray with you and help you to navigate all that. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.